In Genesis 1, we find these words. I'll get the wireless on here, John. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And we hear that and we may be tempted to think, we're in charge. We're meant to control it. It's ours. Grabbing a verse out of context and using it alone as justification for ethics is a common behavior, and it spans the theological spectrum. Both Deuteronomy and the Psalms remind us that we don't own the earth. The earth and all that is in it belongs to God. And that verse about dominion is just one verse removed from the message that humanity is created in the image of God. And Jesus taught us that God was a loving creator who cared tenderly for the birds and the flowers and all things. That charge in Genesis was given with the expectation that humans would care for creation in the same way that God cares for it and especially the same way that God cares for us. You know, and it's only recently in human history that humans have had this inflated idea of this possibility that we're supposed to be in charge. Early human history found us at the mercy of the elements, the weather, the abundance or lack thereof of the harvest, wild animals, plagues. A few of the most powerful city-states of the ancient world, the rulers would sometimes come to believe they had risen above all that and they were in control. But a natural disaster or a war would arise and wreck that view. Over human history, we developed more complicated tools. We found more efficient ways to organize and cooperate. And these advances brought us to the point where we began to exploit resources sometimes to the benefit of all, often for the benefit of just a few. The last couple of centuries have seen a dramatic change in the relationship we have with creation. Advanced technology, scientific discoveries, large-scale manufacturing, increased societal wealth, modern medicine, they've all produced a dramatic shift. We don't just survive in creation, we don't just exploit creation's resources for our benefit. We have begun to chart new courses in creation. Some of these we'd all agree is good, like new treatments for cancer. Some we argue about genetically modified crops. Some probably keep us up tonight at night, like the possibility of extremely deadly genetically engineered biological weapons. And again, we can't forget with these advances, those benefits don't always extend to everyone. There are many in our world who still live in conditions that are very close to how the first humans lived. You know, if all we do is just pursue control of creation, we're making some critical mistakes 
and it will be to humanity's detriment and likely humanity's undoing. The biblical witness has wisdom for us about remembering our place in creation. To do that, we need to consider the idea of stewardship. In the ancient world, stewards were almost always slaved, owned by wealthy landowners. A slave who'd been given the role of steward had proven to be trustworthy. This slave showed wisdom and the skill to preserve and even increase the wealth of the master. Any steward who carelessly used up a master's resources would no longer be a steward. And any steward who abused the master's resources would also find a quick exit from the job. And scripture and our own reformed tradition emphasize that all we has, have is a gift from God and we are supposed to be stewards of those gifts. We have a responsibility to care for our shared resources, the air we breathe, the water we drink and use for cooking and cleaning, the food that comes to us from the fields, the raw materials we harvest from the earth to make what we need to live. Those are all shared resources. They are all gifts. And all we have like that is meant to be shown as much care as an ancient steward would have shown for their master's resources. We have to remember our place. We have to remember we are stewards. In Luke 18, Jesus tells a story about two men who went up to the temple to pray. One listed all his wonderful accomplishments. He wasn't a thief, he wasn't a rogue, he wasn't an adulterer, he wasn't a tax collector. He gave 10% of his income to the temple. He fasted twice a week. He was quite a guy. The other man who happened to be a tax collector simply hung his head and cried to God for forgiveness. In Psalm 14, we encounter the fool. There is, this is the one who holds this thought in his heart, there's no God. And Donald McKim helps us understand this. In the Old Testament, the fool is not only the one with no sense, but also the one who resolutely rejects the highest wisdom of all, which is fear and obedience of God. The fool is the one who disrespects God, convinced that God does not matter in life. Fools have thus closed their minds to God and to all of God's instructions, not defining God as non-existent, but shutting God out from his life. The first man in the temple is the fool because he sees no need for God in his life. In his own eyes, he's perfect. By contrast, that second man, the tax collector, is wise. He recognizes his brokenness and understands he needs God very, very much. The foolish arrogance of that first man in the temple closely mirrors much of our attitude to creation. We use it carelessly. 
We hoard its resources. We remain largely unmoved by suffering of millions who face famine or epidemics. We tell ourselves we are not responsible for the pollution that impacts the poorest of this world. We live as though there is no God, as though God will never ask us, how did you treat the world I gave you? We've got to remember our place. We are sinners, desperately in need of God's grace. We need God's help in learning how to care for creation. We have to remember God's blessings, those privileges we enjoy, come with purpose. For a biblical understanding of privilege and purpose, I turn to a current-day theologian who many of you know. Joe Webb has restarted his blog, and he's writing about these very themes right now. His words, when the first humans in the story chose to have what they want for personal pleasure, they choose the privilege that went along with their freedom and ignored the purpose of their responsibility to steward the creation. Privilege puts self at the center of the universe. Privilege takes. Purpose revolves around the other. Purpose gives. And when we live for purpose rather than for privilege, that's where the kingdom of heaven is. When we remember we are sinners, we recognize we don't create the privileges we have. When we remember we are stewards, we recognize that we have a purpose in the care of creation. Today we gave away Bibles. We welcome a new confirmed member in the church. These young people remind us that our acting as stewards is critical for their future. They remind us of our purpose and help us avoid the selfishness of privilege. So how do we make this practical? Let me suggest this approach. Take some time this week to consider how a good steward you are being for the blessings that you enjoy. Consider where you might be acting more like the first man in the temple, focusing as how much better you are than others. And shift your attitude towards being more like that second man, a repentant sinner, and ask God to show you, show you where you need to change. Ask God's forgiveness, and then take some steps to change. Let me give you a personal example. As I was thinking about this month of sermons and creation, I did a little bit of reflecting about this myself, and I came up with one place I knew I could change. I'd been making use of disposable water bottles on Sundays. You might recall seeing one next to my seat. Sometimes I reused, but often I just grabbed one out of the refrigerator and took it with me. So. I went out and I purchased a disposable, or excuse me, a reusable water bottle, and I started making a habit of using it instead. Now that was a simple choice. 
Not all choices are that simple. Not all that choices will be that cheap to implement or even the kind of choices that may save you money. But start with the low-hanging fruit in your life and work on towards more difficult changes. For those who share living space with others, make it a family affair. Invite children to consider their behavior. Help them with making wise choices. But first, of course, adults, parents, grandparents, set the example yourself. Show how you're going to change. And you know, our gospel lesson for today reminds us of something. Every time we make a change like that, every time we repent and adjust how we behave, the angels rejoice. It makes Jesus happy. And wouldn't it be fascinating if enough folks in our church started talking about creation stewardship from a personal level? And that interest developed in sitting with other people in church on a regular basis to discuss ideas, to discuss how changes were made and the obstacles they ran into and successes that happened. Long-term individual changes can turn into church discussion groups, which can turn into community groups that work on creation care. That's happened before. It can happen here. Let's remember our place. Let's remember we need God's grace and presence. Let's remember the privileges we enjoy that call us to fulfill a purpose. Let's remember we are stewards and God has given us this beautiful world to care for and to pass on to future generations. Amen.